Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I love our church. I just, do you love our, I just love our church. I just, um, I always have. I hopefully always will. Let's leave it at that. No, I do. And I, not only do I love this church, I love this time of year. I gotta be honest. I love this time of year. I love it for a lot of different reasons. As a ginger, uh, a break from the sun is good. Um, I also love this time of year because I love pumpkin spice lattes. Any fans? Um, yeah, good. Uh, I love it for a lot of different reasons. I also love it because it is a season of change, right? Like in, in, in terms of the leaves and the color, you know, all that stuff. I love that. Um, but it's also the time of the year. It's not necessarily January that this happens, even though people like to think it is. But really, September is the year where all these new things come rolling out, like, like new, new schedules. It's the season of change, new rhythms, new routines, right? Like September is really when all that stuff begins and I love all that. And, uh, and, and so hopefully um, you're ready for that. Hopefully, like me, you had an incredible summer. Hopefully your summer was everything that you needed it to be. It was relaxing. It was refreshing. Hopefully you've come back, you know, rejuvenated and feeling alive and ready for the fall and everything that's kind of ramping up and everything that's beginning. I hope that's true for you. I really, really do. Um, but I know not just for the Sove family, but I know for many, maybe you, maybe it's not that. Like maybe we're one week into the school year and you're already overwhelmed. Like just overwhelmed, overwhelmed by a new routine, a new role, a new program, a new school, new classes. Or, or maybe, maybe you're overwhelmed by the fact that you've got to go back to the old routine, back to the old program, back to the old school, back to the old class, like all that. And so if you feel that in any way, you're like, <sighs> if you feel that in any way, I'm so glad that you're here today, whether you're online with us right now, wherever you are, for those of you in the room, I'm so glad that you're here today because whether this is your first time with us, your first time in a long time with us, if you've been a part of this church community for years, the reason I'm so glad that you're here is because today we're jumping into a brand new series called When You're Not Okay. And in this series, I'm gonna talk about the connection between your brain and your soul. In this series, I'm gonna talk about the spiritual side of mental health mental health. You know, I can't remember the very first time I heard those two words or that phrase, mental health. Now, thankfully, you know, over the last number of years, thankfully, conversations about mental health and things of that nature have become more and more common. I say thankfully because there was a long time for many years where there was a whole lot of stereotypes around mental health and mental health issues and mental health days and all these kinds of things. And if I'm honest, I hate to admit this, hang with me for a bit. I hate to admit this, but I was one of those people who for a long, long time, for, for many, many years, I was one of those people who wrestled with understanding what was a genuine mental health challenge and those who kind of used it as an excuse for a lack of motivation or to get a day off work or for an unwillingness to endure life's challenges. Like I'll be honest and admit that for a long time, I was one of those people who was critical or cynical about understanding what was genuine and what was not. Um, for a little over 23 years now, I've been a professional Christian. I've been a full-time pastor in full-time ministry. I've been that for a little over 23 years. And over the course of these 23 years, I have heard stories, so many stories, a shocking amount of stories about pastors um, who were burning out. I would hear these stories time and time again of pastors who were you know, falling out of ministry or dropping out of ministry, pastors who were struggling. And I'm like, 
what's the deal with all these weak pastors? Like what school did they go to? I mean, yes, ministry is tough. And it is, believe me, it's tough. Like think about ministry is hard. As a minister, as a pastor, you have to be um, a CEO. You have to be a motivational speaker. You have to be a counselor. You have to be a fundraiser. You have to be all like planning, party planner. Like you have to be all these kind of different things that even in and of themselves would be a full-time professional career. You have to do all of them. And there were all these pastors who were going through all these things and they were just dropping off like flies. I'm thinking, yeah, ministry's hard, but that's the gig. Like I knew what I was getting into. Like what's going on? Like all these pastors burning out. Like that's never gonna happen to me. And for 20 years, it didn't. Now, you're doing the math. You're like, but you've been doing this for 23 years. Hang on to that. So um, <laughs> people that know me, for those of you that are fairly new, you don't really know me that well. Um, the, the, the people that know me, they would say a lot of different things about me. They would tell you that um, I love pumpkin spice lattes, but that's only second to the gingerbread latte, which is the goat, greatest of all time of Starbucks drinks. Um, I, I love pumpkin spice lattes, gingerbread lattes. I drink an, you know, an exorbitant amount of coffee. Um, I'm hyped up right now. Um, they would tell you a lot of different things. They would tell you that I'm a dreamer. They would tell you that I'm a doer. I'm wired for progress and, and, and just like working hard. They would also tell you that I'm a little bit competitive. Um, my mom won't play Monopoly with me. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit competitive. I, 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 uh, I don't have to win. Like I'm going to win, you know? And, 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 and the other thing, like... I hate losing more than I love winning, okay? But anyways, when you combine all that, as weird as I am, and you combine all that with my faith and my belief in what we're doing as a church and where we've been going as a church for all these years, um, you combine that with all those and the passion that I have, like my life, I'm just a doer. I'm go, 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 all the time. And uh, I've been like that for the last, you know, well, for 23 years, I've been like that probably for my whole life, but certainly in ministry. And it's the last 10 years and a bit that I've been a part of this church, I've been like that. Um, I've been thankful to be a part of this church. I've worn a lot of different hats during my time here. And people that have watched me for the last decade would tell you that I'm going all the time, that I love going and love doing and love dreaming and love trying to move things forward. And I love working with the people that I've worked with here because they were like that. And so I love working with them and for them and doing all this. And I've had time in these last 10 years that I've been a part of this church where Lisa, my wife, she would be the first to tell you that I've said things to her over the last decade, like, hey, honey, um, in this next year, like I'm really gonna put, be pushing. Like I'm really gonna be going in this next year or, or I'm gonna be going all out for this stretch. Like I would, I would prepare her like with those kinds of things. And people who would watch me, including her, they would say, that's what he does. Like he's just going all the time. He's always doing something. He's always kind of thinking, even our staff right now, when I walk in, I'm like, hey, I got an idea. They're like, oh no. What is it? What is he? What are we doing now? Like, I want to shoot somebody out of a cannon from the stage. I want to see, like, I want to do all kinds of crazy things. I've got all kinds of crazy ideas. And, and, and that's just been my MO. And for the last number of years, I've been doing that. And from the outside looking in, I've just been doing the same thing that I've always done. But on the inside, there were things that were happening to me. There were things that were happening around me that were beginning to take their toll on me on the inside. I knew it, but I kept trying to fight through it kept trying to push, kept trying to drive, kept trying to build, kept trying to go, kept trying to win, whatever that means. And, and this was happening to me. And during that season, what was really happening to me is I was white knuckling my way through life. You ever done that? You ever done that? It just feels like you're holding on for dear life. It's just like, man, you're holding on, you're trying to push, you're trying to hang on, you're trying to keep going, you're trying to get through. And if you've never done that, um, 
You might, maybe you're married to someone who does that. But what happens is when you're in that season that I've been in or have been in for a long, long time, you find yourself saying things that should be an indicator that you're white knuckling your way through life. And it usually starts with just one more, right? Just one more stretch, just one more season, just one more month, just one more week, just one more series, just one more appointment, just one more counseling session, just one more lunch meeting, just one more evening out, just one more coffee, just one more this, just one more that, just one more this, just one more that. And you're just, when you're in that season, that's essentially what you're doing. You're just hanging on for dear life. You're white knuckling your way through life. And that was happening to me. And that's how I was living my life. And it was taking a toll on me on the inside. And it was becoming very, very clear that I was living this way. It began taking its effect on my body. I started stress eating. I started gaining weight. I couldn't sleep. I would get to sleep. And then a couple hours later, I would be up and I'd be up for the rest of the night. I went so long, I wasn't sleeping. I had basically insomnia, I couldn't sleep. And, and I was basically saying things to people like, I just need another coffee. I always need another coffee. Just need another coffee. Just need another coffee. And people around the office would laugh because my office was literally filled with coffee cups. Like I was self-medicating with coffee. I would, I just need another coffee or I just need to take a nap. Or then I started making jokes about it, trying to mask what was really going on inside of me. I don't know if it was trying to fool me or trying to fool them, but I would say, yeah, the bridge, we're gonna be launching a new location on a deserted island and nobody can come, but you can join us online, right? Like I was saying things like that, just trying to make a joke. I was trying to get through these, all these things. And if I'm honest, I was at a place, if I was honest, I had nothing left. I had nothing left to give. I was completely empty. You wanna know how to know if you're on empty? You don't feel the highs or the lows. You're just kind of there. You ever been there? That's where I was. And so I remember the day I sat down with Lisa, my wife, and we started talking about it. And she was sharing what she was seeing as she watched me. And I was sharing with her what I was feeling. We both agreed I needed to take a break or I was going to break. And so on a Tuesday evening, I was on Zoom with our advisory team, which is the board of our church. And uh, we had a meeting. And after the meeting, I I shared with them what was going on in and with me. And I said the three most vulnerable words I've ever said to a group of people in a meeting like that. I said, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And uh, maybe you've said those words to somebody before, I'm not okay. And if you have, when you do, you realize in that moment how real the struggle is hearing those words come off your own lips. Like something happens the minute that you articulate those words to another human being. Maybe someone has said those words to you and if they have, when they do, you realize in that moment how real their struggle is. Maybe it was your spouse like Lisa. Maybe it was your son. Maybe it was your daughter. Maybe it was your grandson or your granddaughter. Maybe it was a friend. You heard, I'm not okay. Maybe you've said those words to yourself on the inside for a long, long time, but you haven't been able to say those words out loud to somebody else. I'm, I'm not okay. I can still remember, I can still remember the faces of the people on that screen when I said those words. They were stunned. I mean, they were watching me do what I always do, and they were stunned to hear that's what where I was really, and I was stunned. I mean, I. Not that I said it, but when I did say it, I was stunned at how saying those three words lifted off a lid of emotion that had been bottled up, that I had no idea how the degree to which it had been, had been bottled up. And when I said those three words out loud, nothing changed. 
Like I said those words and, and nothing changed, but saying those words out loud were the catalyst of change. I told the team that I needed a break and they were very gracious. And I'm gonna talk more about that later on in this series. But admitting that I was not okay was the catalyst of me experiencing to a new, to a deeper, to a greater degree who I really am. Saying those words out loud were the catalyst of me seeing myself the way that God sees me. And it helped me hear what he wanted me to say. And the reason that I'm so glad that you're here, the reason I'm so glad you're with us from wherever you are, the reason I'm so glad every single one of you is here is because that's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. And because that's what I want for you, that's why I'm doing this series now. Because some of you are like, wow, block party. This is kind of a heavy subject matter to start off this series. And I get it. You're thinking, why not wait till January? Why not wait till February when everybody's kind of down in the dumps and we're weighed down with snow and winter? And I'm thinking, because I don't want to wait that long because I don't want to wait till we're in the darkness of winter. I want to talk about it now because I don't want any of you to get where I was where you find yourself in a hole so deep that you don't know if you can get out of it. And maybe, maybe you're already there. And if you are, my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to you, not me, but him speak to you through this series. And that maybe you would be able to reach up and reach out and grab a hold of hope and grab a hold of help. My hope for you for every single one of us, my hope for you is that we would all discover to a deeper degree. Maybe for you, this is gonna be the first time ever in your life because maybe you're not even sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith. You're just kicking the tires and the whole thing. You don't even know. My hope for you is that you would discover maybe for the first time in your life that God deeply, intimately cares about you. Not the Sunday morning you, you God cares about you deeply and intimately. And this is what Jesus was trying to express one day when he was asked, Jesus, of all the commandments, out of all the law, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded with this. He said, you must, you must, not should, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how holistic this is? You see it? This is all of you. Everything that matters to you, love God with all of it. Love the Lord your God with your heart. That's the emotional side of you. Love him with your soul, the spiritual part of you, your strength, that physical part of you, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others holistically as a mirror, as a reflection of the love that God first had for every single one of us. God loves you deeply, intimately, and holistically. And we are to love him and love one another the same way. The same way. Now the church in history, we've talked a lot about the heart, talk a lot about the soul, talk a lot about the body and strength and these different things that we need to do and endure and persevere and all these things. We talk a lot about loving our neighbor. Don't know if we got that part figured out yet, but we talk a lot about it. But rarely, if ever, do we talk about the mind. And you see, there's a lot of people who think that church shouldn't talk about mental health. But I think it's critically important. I think many of us, if not most of us, in fact, if not all of us would agree, it's an epidemic in our world. And if you're still not convinced, if you're still kind of, I don't know, they're just all making it up. If you're not convinced, here's some recent Canadian statistics that'll hopefully bring you to the same place. 
Only 55% of people in Canada report good mental health. That was in 2020, so we're probably closer to 50% now, which means 50% of the people in this room statistically would report having good mental health. But that means that 50% of the people in this room or close to would report not having good mental health. And for those of you at home, if there's more than one of you, you pick, figure it out. Paper, rock, scissors, I don't know. But statistically speaking, that's where we are. This is the Canada that we live in. Only 40% of youth and youth, according to this survey, are ages 15 to 24. Only 40% of youth report good mental health. 60% of our young people in Canada would say they don't have good mental health. By the age of 40, one in two people in Canada will experience mental illness. One in two, either for a short time or for an extended time. And these aren't Canadians on the West Coast or the East Coast. These are the Canadians. These are the people that you know, the people that you care about, the people you live with, the people you love. Maybe it's you. Now, thankfully, good news, thankfully, there are a lot of tools and a lot of great resources and things that are available today that maybe weren't years ago to help us. Maybe for you, it's been a therapist, a counselor, a psychiatrist. I'm thankful for the role a counselor has played in my life in recent years. I know that they're a really helpful tool. There's some incredibly gifted and talented people out there. There's also medication. Uh, Medication can be a great tool uh, depending on the situation you find yourself in as it relates to mental health. And I have people ask me all the time, "Um, can a Christian take medication for mental health? And I'm like, that's a great question. Can a Christian take medication for a headache? Can a Christian take medication if they have cancer? We'll come back to that. Um, But thankfully, there's a lot of great resources. But when it comes to mental health, for the truth is, for many of us, when it comes to our mental health, some of us just need to sleep more. And if you have trouble with that, just download our weekly podcast, The Sound of My Voice. Um, Will it be incredible for you in that way? No, for others of us, we need to sleep more. For others of us, um, we need to to start exercising more. And some of you are like, I'm out already. I get, but listen, we do. For some of us, we need to change jobs. There are some of you who are like, man, my career, it's affecting my bottom line, but your job is killing your health mentally. And that bottom line is not worth your health. For others of us, we need to take more breaks. For some of us, we need to be more social. Others of us, less social. All of us need to get off our phones, right? Uh, There's a lot of different things that we could do as it relates to our mental health, but here's the thing. The more I think about it, the more I pray about it, the more I read about it, the more I study about it, the more I talk to mental health professionals and counselors and therapists, the more I look at the challenges in my own life, the more I look at and talk to my friends and to my family, I can't help but wonder, what if your spiritual health and my spiritual health and your mental health and my mental health, what if they're connected? I can't help but wonder. What if our mental health and our spiritual health, what if they're connected? Because I'm convinced there has to be a spiritual side to all of this. And interestingly, secular research supports this. That in the last 10 years, there's been an amazing amount of research done to show the connection between our brains and the spiritual part of who we are. That research would show, science would show that our minds and our souls are connected. There's a U.S. uh, 
researcher. His name is Jordan Grafman, and he is the director of the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. And he, one day, over a pumpkin spice latte, had this idea. I want to find the God spot. I want to find the God spot because he said these people that believe in God or they want to believe in a God or this supernatural being, there has to be, there's got to be something going on in there. There's got to be a neuron. There's got to be something happening in their brain that has them, you know, that causes them to want to believe in some sort of higher power. So I'm going to go and I'm going to find it. I want to find the God spot. And so that's what he said. That's what he thought. That's what he did. And this is what he found. Here's what he said. Religion doesn't have a God spot as such. Instead, It's embedded in a whole range of other belief systems in the brain that we use every day. That's what he said. Religious beliefs and behaviors, he goes on, religious beliefs and behaviors, he goes on, are a hallmark of human life with no accepted animal equivalent and found in all cultures. This brilliant man said, I went looking for the God. I can't find it because there isn't one. In fact, what I found is that our whole brains are integrated when it comes to believing in a higher power. That amazingly, there's something in you, there's something in me, holistically, that has wired us all to believe that there's someone bigger than us. That our brains and our souls are actually connected. In the last 10 to 12 years, there's actually been a field that has been labeled neurotheology. This is, probably didn't think you'd hear that word at church today. Neurotheology, this guy, this is actually a field of study now. And this Dr. Andrew Newberg, he's done a lot of research. He's written a lot of books to basically show how the spiritual practices in our lives, get this, the spiritual practices in our lives can actually change our brains. This is amazing. He's done all kinds of research to support this. He took a group of people and he studied them. He watched them, people who prayed every day. They prayed 15 minutes a day for eight weeks. And he can show conclusively how every single one of their brains physically changed. It changed. You may have heard this term neuroplasticity. It's this idea that we can change the pattern of our brain because our brains create patterns and neuroplasticity suggests that we can actually change those patterns. To help you understand what I mean, um, my 17-year-old daughter, Emma, she recently got her driver's license, um, speaking of anxiety. And um, no, she's a really good, I'm a terrible passenger, but she's a good driver. And when she comes home and she gets behind the wheel of my Jeep, she has to think about it. Now, she can drive, but she has to think about driving my Jeep because she hasn't done it enough and she has to create this new pattern in her brain. So when she's driving the Jeep, she's thinking about it. She's looking around. She's trying to figure out the size and how to handle it. And she's like, oh, this handles a little bit differently. Even when she parks, she kind of looks over the hood because she's like, how close am I? I can't really tell and gauge how close I am to the curb. All these things. When I get behind the wheel, I've been driving the Jeep so long, I don't even think about it. I'm just driving because I've already got the pattern. But when she gets in the Jeep and behind the wheel, she has to think about it because she doesn't have the pattern as part yet of part of the plasticity in your brain. And some of you were like, Scott, where is this going? <laughs> right? Like, I don't understand what I'm trying to say. I want you to get this before it gets you. Your mind is connected to your soul. Your mind is connected to your soul. And once you begin to embrace that, it leads to another question. And if you are dealing, if you are challenged with mental illness, if you are struggling in the area of your mental health, if you are challenged in that way, the question you probably are asking is this, does your mental illness mean that you aren't spiritual enough? I ask because you've probably asked. 
At somewhere along the way, you've probably asked this question. And unfortunately, the church has done a poor job in this area for a long, long time. Maybe someone somewhere along the way came to you and they said without saying, or maybe they actually were that nice to say it out loud to you, that the reason that you have anxiety is because you don't have enough faith. That they said to you, the reason that you have anxiety is because you don't pray enough. And that if you read your Bible more, you might struggle less. And if you read your Bible more, you wouldn't struggle with that addiction. And if you read your Bible more, you wouldn't have substance abuse issues. And if you read your Bible more, you would be less lonely. So you either heard or you started telling yourself, I'm not spiritual enough. That if I was more spiritual, I would be healthier mentally. And if you've heard those things, I need you to know I am so, so sorry. I am so, so sorry. I can't speak for those people who said those things, but I do believe that I can stand up here and speak for God because as I look at the scriptures, I just don't see that in there. In fact, when I open up and read the scriptures, I see stories of heroes of the faith, heroes of the faith who did incredible things for God and yet struggled with mental health. That the Bible, believe it or not, the Bible is full of stories of men and women who loved God, who served God, who did incredible things with and for God and yet struggled with mental health. And I could go on and tell you story after story. I could go through character after character. You might've been a Christian all your life and you know all these people, even though you may never have read your Bible, but you've heard of Elijah, right? Who struggled. Maybe you've heard of Job, he struggled. You might've heard of Jeremiah, right? Remember, for the plans I have, for you plans to prosper and harm, not to give you home. You know that guy that's on that calendar at your grandparents' house? That guy, Jeremiah, do you know what his nickname is? The weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. It's my new handle on Twitter, the weeping prophet. Like, um, the, what? You look at Paul, he struggled. Like, they did amazing things for God and yet, they struggled. And so rather, and I could go on and on and on and story after story, I could get into all that, but I want to share with you a few words from a man who, even though you might've read the Bible, you might know it front and to back and even the maps. My guess is even though you've heard of Elijah, David, Paul, all these people, you might not have heard of this man. But I wonder if his words would resonate with you. His name is Heman. Heman is a man who lived in the Old Testament time. Uh, he was someone who I would, I think you would look up to spiritually. He was a priest. He worked in the temple. Um, He was an incredibly faithful man. He served God faithfully. He served people faithfully and people loved this guy. They absolutely loved him. He had a big family. Um, Historians tell us he was an incredible father. Um, he, He wrote songs. He was a poet. Many of the songs that he wrote, they actually sang in church. Right, So like we just sang together, Um, we sang a song that was written by a guy named Phil Wickham. They sang songs written by Heman. And they just, they sang his tunes, they loved him. And on top of being a poet, he was incredibly wise. So here's this guy, Heman, we would probably all look up to him spiritually. And I wish we had more, but thankfully we have one chapter in the Bible that was written by him. And again, I wanna read just a few of his words and see if you can at all relate. Here's what he said. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. Like you've never heard of Heman, but you can probably feel this already, right? He goes on and he says, for my life is full of troubles, plural. You mean a a man of faith? A, A priest? He has troubles, yep. And he says, death draws near. And he's not talking about physical death. He's saying, he's talking about the things that he's experiencing, the things that are 
weighing him down are so heavy that it almost feels as if death is upon him. Like that's how bad things are. He says, I'm as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. And I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Like a strong man or a strong woman with no strength left? And people look at you and they go, man, you're so strong. Like, I might be strong, but I'm done. I got nothing. I'm tired. I'm tired of the anxiety. I'm tired of the stress. I'm tired of depression. I'm tired of these pills. I'm tired of trying to help my kid through this. I'm tired of the isolation and the loneliness. I'm just, I'm just tired. I'm tired of listening to this voice in my head, this inner criticism that just never shuts off. I'm just, t- I've been there. Heman was there. And he goes on and he says, you, meaning God, you have taken away my companions and my loved ones. Like I'm just, I'm alone. I'm isolated. All I've got left is darkness. It's my closest friend, right? Hello, darkness, my old friend. Like, like darkness is like, this is heavy, right? And you're thinking, well, it resolves, right, Scott? Like he comes, no. This is the last thing that he wrote. These words in yellow are the last things that he wrote that we have access to. Darkness is my closest friend. See how heavy that is? I mean, here's this wise, faithful, spiritual man. And in these words, you can almost feel the weight of his struggle, the challenges that he was facing in his life, but also in his head. He's struggling mentally. And see, as you read through the scriptures, there's so much of this, it's overwhelming. Men and women who struggled in this way and they're not figuring it out, they're pouring it out. They're just pouring it out for God. And see, the thing is, you read the scriptures, you discover these men and women, these heroes of the faith, as they talk about the challenges they're experiencing and the challenges that they were facing mentally, it's not an issue of either sick or cured. Because that's, I think, one of the reasons we struggle is because we see it as a thing, you're one or the other. You're either sick or you're cured. And the people in the scriptures didn't see it that way. They didn't see it as either or. They didn't see it. Heman didn't say, God, I'm going through troubles. Take away my troubles so I'll be better. He didn't say, I'm in a dark place. Shine some light so I'll be better. He just said, I'm in a dark place. And see, as you read through the scriptures and these men and these women, as they talk about the things that they're going through, it's not an issue of either or. It's not either I'm cured or I'm sick. They saw it in a different way. They saw it as surviving to, not or, surviving to, thriving. They saw it as a spectrum. That someday, God, some days I'm thriving and things are going great in my life. And there are other days, God, where I'm just surviving. I'm white knuckling my way through life. I'm just barely hanging on. God, I need you. That more often than not, as you read through the scriptures, they're on this spectrum. And then if you read the rest of the book of Psalms, which is written primarily from David, David, who I read about earlier, read from earlier, this hero of the faith, David and Goliath, that guy, the guy who God himself said, this David is a man after my own heart. This guy goes back and forth eight times on this spectrum in the same chapter. I mean, you can read it. It's unbelievable how he can just swing on this pendulum back and forth and back and forth. Listen to what he said. He says, I cry out to the Lord and I plead for the Lord's mercy and I pour out my complaints, like just on and on and on before him. And I tell him all my troubles. And he says, when, not if, when I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way that I should go. That God, there are times in my life where I don't know what to do. 
And there are times in my life where I don't know where to go and I don't know where to turn. Yes, God, there are times in my life where I'm thriving and I'm praising you, but God, there are also times in my life I'm just surviving and I'm just hanging on for dear life. And it's in those moments I need you. That's what David said. A hero of the faith, a man after God's own heart. That's what David said. And I wonder, what would David say to you? If he were here, what would Heman say to you? I think this is what they would say. They would say that your mental health challenges, your mental health struggles, they are not an indictment of your spiritual life, but an invitation to it. That's what I think they would say. That your mental health challenges, your mental health illness, your mental health struggles, they're not an indictment of your faith. They're an invitation to it. And this is so important for every single one of us to embrace because if you're experiencing sorrow, if you're experiencing stress, if you are experiencing anxiety, depression, loneliness, sadness, those challenges are real. And those challenges don't mean, or those challenges aren't because you aren't spiritual enough. That is a lie. It's a lie you've heard. It's a lie you tell yourself. And it's a lie if you will believe it will take you to a place of guilt which will almost assuredly take you further and further into despair. Your mental health challenges are not a measurement of your spiritual life. They are not an indictment of your spiritual life. They're an invitation to it. I believe that's what David would say. I believe that's what Heman would say. I believe that's what Paul would say. I believe that's what the weeping prophet would say. I believe, I believe that that's what Jesus would say that in the moments when the struggle is real, it is an invitation to lean into the God who gets it. And some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to hear that. And some of you are probably wondering, so what does God have to say about mental health? That's what this series is gonna be all about. It's gonna be real. It's gonna be raw. It's gonna be practical. And I want to share with you really quickly where we're going in this series because I want you to know, but I also want you to know so that you can talk to somebody else and maybe bring someone with you who needs to hear what God has to say about when we are not okay. Here's the journey ahead. I want to show you quickly. Next week, we're going to talk about your inner critic because you have one. And if your critic is anything like my critic, that critic is the loudest voice in your life. We need to talk about it. We're also going to talk about anxiety and worry. And we're going to end the series in part four talking about trauma and depression. I promise you it won't be depressing. It's going to be hopeful. It's going to be helpful. It's going to be real. It's going to be raw. It's going to be practical. We're going to talk about the scriptures and what God has to say about when we're not okay. I'm going to be sending out things to the week. It's going to be an incredible journey. I hope that you'll come along with it. But as we close today, I want to ask you one last question. And I wonder, I wonder, what if, just humor me, what if the key to mental health isn't to know more, but to be known? Why do I say this? Because in our culture today, we love, and I mean, we love us some knowledge. We love content. We've got more content than we know what to do with. And don't get me wrong, I love it. I love it. But here's the thing, let me ask you, is that really what our soul needs, more tips, more tricks, more life hacks, more links, 
more knowledge? Is that really what our soul needs? I would argue it's not. In fact, I would argue that the more we know, the more we worry. I would argue that the more we know, the more we carry. I would argue the more we know, the more we stress. And the more we know, the more anxiety we carry. Why? Because we're constantly bombarded with what we can't control. A guy by the name of Kurt Thompson, he's a, another brilliant man who, uh, he wrote a book called The Anatomy of the Soul. It's a book on neuroscience and spiritual formation. And he wrote this, it's really interesting. He said, from the emergence of the enlightenment in the 17th century through the mid 20th century, knowing things became prized above all else. And he goes on, listen to this, listen to this. We have failed to see that this need that you have, that I have, this need to be right to be rationally, orderly, and correct, subtly, subtly, but effectively prevents us, prevents you, prevents me, prevents us from the experience of being known. The more we try to be right, the more we try to control, the more isolated we become, and it leaves us not loving, not being loved, which is the highest call of humanity to which Jesus would say, amen because the highest call of humanity is the commandment that is most important to love God holistically and to love one another holistically as a reflection of the love that he first had for us. If you call yourself a Christian in our Western faith, it is so knowledge-based. We know what's right. We've got the Bible and we're hanging on to this. And I, I need to go deeper in my faith and going deeper in my faith has nothing to do with how we live and how we love. It has everything to do with what we no. Now, don't get me wrong. Knowing what the scripture says is incredibly important. So important, I'm doing a whole entire series on this in October. I'm gonna talk about the Bible and talk about how to read it, how to understand it, how to experience it for yourself. Knowing and understanding what God has said in the scriptures is incredibly important. But what about knowing God himself? What about being known by God himself? See, so often we focus so much on being right and knowing what's right. Why? Because we think it keeps us in control. But are we really in control? No. We need to be known. We need to be known. See, when I said those words to Lisa, when I said those three words to our board, I'm not okay. I didn't want somebody to say, hey, quickly, I, here are three tips how to alleviate anxiety. I didn't want a link. I didn't want an article. I didn't want a podcast, a YouTube video. I didn't even want a verse of scripture. I wanted to be known. I wanted someone to look at me and say, I see you. I see you as you really are. I accept you and I love you. I didn't need knowledge. I needed to be known. And that's what the Christian faith has to offer you and has to offer me. And it's the God who sees you as you really are, not this person you present. He sees you as you really are and he accepts you. And even though he accepts you where you are, he loves you so much, he refuses to leave you there. And he wants you to walk with him and journey with him. And he wants to take you and walk with you no matter where you are on this spectrum of thriving to surviving. He sees you. Oh, he sees you. He sees who you really are, not who you pretend to be. And he sees the hurt the sickness, the addiction, the illness, the stress, the worry, the anxiety. He sees it and he says, I love you. And I wanna journey with you through the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows and everything in between. And so as we close today, I wonder, could I pray for you? 
Are you okay? You okay? Can I pray for you? I think one of the hardest things about this job is sometimes I stand on this stage and you look at me as someone who's got it figured out. And I don't. I'm on this spectrum just like you. And so I wonder as we close today, could I, could I pray with you as one of you? As someone who struggles just like you? Who's on a spectrum with you? Because I'm on the spectrum. I'm on the spectrum between thriving and surviving. So if you're like me, could I ask you to do something courageous? Would you stand and would you come down here with me? Because our bodies and our minds and our souls are connected. And when we do things physically, it's all integrated. It's all connected. That's why I raise my hands when I sing. It's why sometimes I get down on my knees when I pray. Because what I do with my body is connected to what's going on inside of me. And all of it is connected. And so would you do something physically? Would you stand if this is you or if you want to pray with and for somebody you know and love who's struggling this way? Would you stand and would you come down here with me? Come, could we pray together? Come on, you can come down. You, you, don't, you don't, 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 just come down. It's okay. Yeah, 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 we're not alone. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the beauty of this moment. And God, we're gonna go out in a few minutes and we're gonna play and we're gonna have fun. And we're gonna eat burgers and hot dogs and shoot each other with arrows. But God, right now, right now, God, we just wanna stop and we need you to know. We want each other to know. Not okay. And it's not because we don't love you and it's not because we don't believe in you and it's not because of who you are. Just not okay. And I thank you, God, that right now in this moment, you've shown, I think, all of us that it's okay to not be okay. And that that is not an indictment on our faith, but every single one of us is invited to be known by you and to be known by one another. And so, God, I pray for every single person in this room and the challenges that they represent, whether it's in their lives or the lives of someone that they love and care about deeply. And they watch their loved one go through things that they can't even understand and they don't know how to help. They don't know what to do because they just don't understand. But God, you would give them empathy, supernatural empathy to understand and to carry and to feel and to be loving. For every single person at home or at their cottage, wherever they are, watching later, I don't know, but God, you know. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, that God, you would comfort them and assure them that you are with them no matter where they are in their lives. Pray that you would show yourself to every single one of us in Jesus' name. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love, and God bless.